0: This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholik. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. To know you, and to love you, to live in your presence, Lord. And to know you, and to love you, to live like there's so much more. Good morning, church. You all doing well? I had to make the first service say good morning again because the first one was so bad, but that was decent. So thank you for uh, cooperating. So before we get into the Bible study, we're going to be in Mark chapter eight and nine today. And if, if you need a Bible so you can follow along with us, please raise your hand. We'll have an usher in the back come up and bring you a Bible. You also have in your seat backs calendars, which on the back side of the calendar is a place that you could take notes. We're going to be covering four points on um, <clears throat> what it means to be a disciple this morning. But before we do, I just wanted to let you all know and ask for your prayers. A dear sister in the Lord, Annas, went to be with the Lord on Friday. Her family's here. Her husband, Kenneth, is here. Um, Here's a picture of Annis from the Ladies Christmas Social uh, uh, not too long ago. You remember she frequented this service. So you know how good God is? I remember having a conversation with Annis, and she was telling me how much she loved communion and that she had to be here for Communion Sundays. And she was here last Sunday. And guess what Sunday it was? Communion Sunday and she got to receive communion and then she got to go be with the Lord this past week. And I am so very excited for her because the fulfillment of all the promises of God she's experiencing right now. And that is very exciting and encouraging for me. So please pray for Kenneth, pray for their family it's okay to grieve. Even Jesus wept when Lazarus died and he was about to raise him from the dead. So it's okay to weep. It's okay to mourn for a season, but she's with her Savior. And she sees as she has been seen. It is complete. So let's pray for the family. Let's pray for the Bible study and then we'll we'll get to it. Father God, we thank you that we can have such... Great confidence in you as our Savior. that there's there's no way you would never leave us or forsake us. You pursue us, you love us. Your mercies are new every morning. We just have so much confidence in your goodwill towards us. Thank you, Lord, for the life that Annas lived. Thank you for the, the, the blessing, the gift that she was, for her children, for her legacy. And Father, we pray for Kenneth and for the rest of the family, a peace that passes understanding. We pray, Lord, that they would they would mourn for the night, but joy would come in the morning and that they would be rejoicing in you that she gets to be with you now and no longer in this earthly tent that is temporary. Bless your word today, Father, as we go through it. Thank you for that time of worship where we can offer you the fruit of our lips. Thank you, God, for this time in your word that we can apply your word, and and we want that also to be an act of worship. And God, our tithes and offerings this morning, we pray, would be done, not compulsory, but that it would be done as an act of worship to you. Father, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 8 is where we are this morning, and the title of today's message is Discipleship, What It Means what it means. What does it mean to be a disciple? If you remember last week, we covered the five different kinds of disciples, didn't we? Now, I know that you guys probably don't like this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Does anybody remember the five different kinds of disciples? What's the first kind? The multitudes, the masses. Very good. What was the second? The 70. You guys are great. Studious. I love it. What was the third? The 12. What was the fourth? The three, what was the fifth? The one. And we saw that as Jesus ministered to the crowds, there were people that were following him, but they didn't necessarily intentionally need to be so close to him. They just wanted to have their problems addressed. They wanted to get something from Jesus. And then the 70 were sent out and given power and authority. And Jesus said to them, don't rejoice that that you can rebuke and cast out demons. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And then the 12, those who were even closer to Jesus. And then the three. How did you guys process that over this last week? I kept thinking, yes, amen, Lord, I want to be nearer to you. I want to understand, I want to know who you are, what your will is, what your purposes are. I want to be the three. I want to be the one. I want to be the one. And in identifying for yourselves which category you would fall in, I guess none of them are necessarily bad, but it can always be better. Do you want to be a better kind of Disciple? What does it take to be a disciple, church? Discipline. It's not easy. There's challenges. There's going to be pushback. But in in right discipline before the Lord, we can follow him and be his disciples. We don't want to just say that we're Christians. We are. We are but let's be disciples. That's what our vision is this year for 2020, that we would be a church so focused on discipleship and not anything else, any of the peripherals, we were called to become and go and make disciples. So we're finishing up this three-part series next week, moving on from this message, what it means to be disciples, a disciple and we're going to cover a couple verses that we that we did um, last week but not too much. but we find ourselves in the Gospel of Mark which after we studied through it a couple of years ago, came pretty close to my favorite gospel the way that Mark communicates to us. But we see throughout the book of Mark, particularly that up until this chapter Jesus is intentionally ministering to the masses. He's traveling all around. He's going back and forth over the Sea of Galilee, and he's all about meeting them. It's this chapter and the proclamation by Peter that he is the Christ, that from now on, Jesus is going to very intentionally disciple these men that are the closest to him. And he sets his sight on Jer- uh, Jerusalem, and he's going to Jerusalem. We know ultimately is going to be the triumphal entry. He's going to be presented as the Messiah. He's going to be murdered. He's going to be buried. He's going to resurrect and give that great commission to his, what? Disciples. He said, I've been teaching you guys. I've been training you. You've been following me. This is what I want you to do. We're going to look at four things that Jesus instructs on what it means to be a disciple. So if you're taking notes, here's number one, starting in verse 27, chapter 8. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him. Wrong verse. Now Jesus and his disciples—I should have just kept reading and throw you guys all off. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. About what? About him being the Christ. Now there's two questions that Jesus asked. What was the first one? Who do people say that I am? A lot of people have a different, different opinions about who the historical, provable historical figure of Jesus Christ, who he was. Many people will say he was a gifted teacher. He was, maybe he was like an Old Testament prophet, whatever. But what's more important is not what people, people's opinions about Jesus. What's, what's more important is who do you say he says to them that I am? Because whoever Jesus is to you, that's what he's going to be. He's not going to be for the multitudes an errand boy that takes care of their problems. He said, Who do you say that I am? Peter says, You are the Christ. And sometimes in our life, and I hope people don't do this, but you know, sometimes people just go to church because they have issues and that's okay i guess sometimes people go to church cuz they need something fixed sometimes they go to church because they want something from god but i want i want to i'm curious for all of you and i'd like you to jot this down if you wouldn't mind for yourself who do you say that jesus is number 1 point confess one thing that's necessary in being a disciple of Jesus Christ is that you have to confess what you, uh, not to get ahead of ourselves, but what you believe. What are you confessing? In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, we many of us know this verse. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, You will be saved. Confession is a very powerful principle because each and every one of us, whatever we believe, we are going to be confessing. Did you know that? You don't even have to believe in Jesus, but for me to spend five or 10 or 15 minutes with you, you will start to show to show me, reveal to me who you really are and and really what you believe. You can't stop it from the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. And the more time you spend with somebody, the more that you like them or don't like them. I joke around. It's a joke, people, okay? I joke around and say, man, I don't want you to get to know me because the more you get to know me, the less you're going to like me. You know why? It's true, though. Do you know why? Because I'm just a person. I'm just a guy like everybody else and and i'm supposed to be holier and 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 better and yeah i guess i'm better than most of you but not all of you i'm sure there's one or two possibly here that might be better than me <laughs> we're we're all just people And and when we go through life, when we walk through life, what we're going to be doing is we need to be more intentional about what our confession is. We need to be more intentional about what comes from our mouth. We need to be more intentional about what we say we believe, what we confess. Because confession is directly related to the next point in verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after that, three days rise again. If number one is confess that you have to do to be a disciple, you have to confess. Number two would be belief. You have to believe that what Jesus said he was doing, he was really going to do. And we'll see in a second that, There was a manifestation of what true belief, what they really believed, specifically Peter, about what Jesus said he was going to do. In fact, let's look at the next verse. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Your prerogative, your program, your understanding is more closely connected to what the world wants than what God wants, Peter. And maybe you would say that that's a harsh word, but before we get more into that and and pick it apart a little bit, dissect it, let's look at number one was confessed, number two is believe. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 14 says, for if we believe, that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him with those, bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. This is a tall order, right? We're talking about really core fundamental faith issues. The issue of faith for us is that we are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And not only, I used to hear people preach the gospel to me or tell me about Jesus only through, Sorry, I'm getting used to this, mic. Only with the intention of the future fulfillment of God's promises. Hey, you don't want to go to hell, do you? Well, that's not a very fair argument. How many people are going to say, yeah, maybe a handful. But hey, if you don't want to go to hell, you have to receive Jesus as your Savior so that you can go to heaven for eternity. But that's not at all what the gospel is about. The gospel is about you understanding and receiving who Jesus is now so you can start to have life today. Not tomorrow today, that God can start working those things through you now. But there's a fine line between believing in confession, because like I said before, the things that you truly believe, the things that you truly believe are going to be manifested through your life. They're going to be manifested through confession, you know, I talk to people and, I, and they say, hey, this is an issue and this is my problem and this is what's happening. And I'm like, you know, I think that the Lord's going to take care of it. Don't worry about it. The Bible says, Jesus says, don't worry about it. He's going to take care of it. But, 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 but. No, listen, you have to understand that if you really believe God is who he says he is, then he's going to take care of you. And you have to confess that. Sometimes we have to say that to ourselves. Do you know what, church? Sometimes I have to say that to myself. And it's not positive thinking. It's it's literally taking what I say I believe and practicing it through confession. I know that this is going to be okay. Yeah, you want to punch the guy in the throat that says all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose when you're going through a trial. But it's true. And sometimes we need to be reminded of it. And I say, I know that this is going to work out because I know that I love God and I know that I'm walking with him and I know that my intention, my purpose is to see his will fulfilled. Verses 32 and 33 is our next point. So let's read them again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Number three is submit. If you confess, you're going to have to have something that you're confessing, believe. And if you really believe that, you're going to have to submit yourself to that. If you really believe it, you're going to have to submit. Jesus says, "I'm about my father's kingdom. I'm about what God wants to do on earth. You don't understand that, Peter, but I'm telling you the truth." And this is one of the areas that a lot of people get really hung up when it comes to being a disciple or a believer in Jesus Christ. Cuz the the S word is not a fun word. Submit. So, what do you talk what do you mean like I'm my own man? I'm self made. I'm my own woman. I've got things under control. I'm going to take care of everything. But, but God says, Jesus would say, but your, your process of thinking is more directly connected to the kingdoms and the people of this earth than what God's intentions are, which are so much bigger than what your understanding is. Do you guys understand that if there is a God, and if he did create us like the Bible says that he he did and if Jesus really died on the cross for your sins so that you can understand and come into a relationship with God Almighty that created you in his image you know that if that's true there's no way you can in any inkling comprehend the things that he has in store for tomorrow you don't even know a drop in the Atlantic ocean of what his purposes are but we get so frustrated When when something happens, when control starts to be taken away. And God says, I want you to understand that I've got the big picture. And part of being a disciple is saying, yes, Lord, I understand that I only see part, a piece, a tiny little drip. But you are going to uh, work out the whole big picture. We talk about God taking care of us or God meeting us or helping us with our issues or our problems, but this is eternal life that you would know Him, that you would know who He was. So, discipleship looks like discipline in pursuing who God is so that you can know Him. That's what a true disciple looks like. It's not just a Christian, it's not just going to church. It's not a community. It's the whole package. It is those things and God revealing himself to you. It's not a religious institution. It's Almighty God who created you for a purpose. In Matthew chapter 6 verses 10 or verse 10, One of my favorite parts of the Lord's prayer to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't it always better to know that you're a part of what God's will is than your will? This is what drove me to the Lord as a young believer. Most of you, many of you may know my testimony. I um, was pronounced dead at eight months old after a car accident on the way from Indian Springs to Las Vegas. I flew out the window, ripped off a bunch of muscle and uh, flesh on my right leg, had brain, you know, head issues, which nobody would argue that, you know, that's definitely not the case anymore, right? Thank you. (coughs) Pronounced dead at the scene, came back to life on the way to the hospital, and the insurance company gave my parents uh, uh, some money from the accident. My parents took the money and they put it in a, like a, you know, interest bearing account, a savings account, but it was like a CD locked that would unlock when I turned 18 years old. And here I am in Las Vegas. I turn 18 and I'm not walking with the Lord. I don't really know, you know, what God's purpose or will is or plan is for me. And I get this huge sum of money. And my, my parents were begging me. My mom was begging me. She's like, Tim, just go to college, do something. Is that what I did? I blew it. Within one year, I had a new truck. I had all the toys. I'd take my friends out to the clubs, pay for them at the clubs. And within one year, I was flat broke, almost to the point of having to sell my truck so I can start riding a bike. And I was going to work, to make enough money to party on the weekends. And I did it all because it's what I wanted to do. And when my mom said, she said, don't do that. You know what I said? I'm 18 now and you're not gonna tell me what to do anymore and I'm going to do what I wanna do. And that's what I did. And at the end of that year, some other things had happened, a handful of things, and I was so completely broken. I remember it like it was yesterday. And the prayer that I prayed to God was, God, I'm tired of doing things according to my own will and screwing everything up. I need your help. I know that you have a purpose for me. I know that you have a will for me. I, I, I want to be so completely surrendered to that so that I can walk so completely in your will and only experience good things in my life from now on. And I've seen many of those things. That prayer has much fruit. I've been very blessed. And that was the beginning of my walk. And everybody's story is different. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel. Everybody's story is different. That's just my story. And I'm sticking to it. Sorry, I had to say it. That's just my story. And there was a time as a young believer, it got to be ridiculous because I only wanted to do the will of God. Now, now that I found it, you know, now that I realized that God does have a purpose for me, he does have a plan, he does have a will. And I'm like, I only want to do that. What is it, Lord? Is it crispy crunches or is it pop tarts or is it a bagel for breakfast today? I'm not moving out of bed until I receive a direction in this thing. And what should I wear? I don't want to put the wrong outfit on to disappoint you. I just want to do your will. You guys think you're crazy and that's fine. But what I'm doing is illustrating to you that that was how genuinely, how much I genuinely wanted to understand what the purpose and plan of God's will for me was. And how still today I want to, and I still walk forward with that understanding. I just don't eat breakfast, so I don't have to worry about what it is I eat. Here we go into a series of verses that can be kind of difficult to take, but Jesus needs to communicate to them what it looks like, what it means to be a disciple. When he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Back in verse uh, 34, uh, this is what I have kind of as a takeaway for you guys. A wrong view of messiahship leads to a wrong view of discipleship. Depending on who Jesus is for you will define what kind of disciple you're going to be, or if you're going to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. A wrong view of messiahship leads to a wrong view of discipleship. And then he gives four statements on the meaning of discipleship. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. Is it giving up or giving over? He offers life because he says, this is what Jesus is saying, God's will is always going to be better than your will. It's always going to be better than your will. And unless you give up that will that you have that says, this is what I want out of life. Unless you give that up and walk away, you cannot experience the incredible goodness of God's will for you towards your life. It's not possible pick up the cross, pick up your cross and follow me. This word life is psyche. You guys know what psyche is? It's who you are. It's your personhood. It's your being. It's your soul. It's him saying you have to give up all of who you are, your identity, to be able to fully understand the plan and purpose that God has for your life. We talked about this on Wednesday night too, because it says that the people in 1 Samuel had, uh, Samuel says, unless you fully give yourself. But man, some, it's easy to give part of me, isn't it? Well, God, I'll give you this. God, I'll give you that. But you can't touch this. You can't have that. You can't stop this process of thi- of thinking. I still want that. See, we go back to the the Submitting. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? That is one of the most fundamental questions in the entire New Testament. Does anybody have an answer this morning? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Even a more important question— If you could gain anything, listen to me, okay? If you could gain anything in the world, anything that you wanted, but the exchange for it would be your soul, what would it be? Here's the problem, guys. Anything that you could get, even if what you chose was a legacy, anything that you could receive on earth is always utterly temporary. It's temporal. It's only going to last for a certain amount of time, but your soul is eternal. That's the benefit. That's what Jesus is saying. He's like he's like a salesman saying, you guys get to pick. What do you want to pick? Something that's going to be gone or something that's going to last forever? Well, that's easy. What do I have to do? Believe on me, whom God has sent, and you will be saved. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And then here we come to our last point, point number four, chapter nine. And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death, until they see the kingdom of God present with power. So Jesus is reaffirming that this is not only just a future fulfillment of the promise, that there's even some standing here right now that are going to experience the glory of God. And he's talking about two things. One, the next section when he takes the three up to the mountain, which we covered last week, And then ultimately, when they die, they're going to see the kingdom of God coming, even the fulfillment of it through his death and resurrection. But here's the last point here. The word is reveal. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launder on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let me make us three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, And a voice came out from the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. How many of you would like to be uh, in the three? I'd like to be in the three. The, the, The multitudes were great. They were getting something, you know, they wanted something. They wanted to receive something. The 70 were great. The 12, yeah, but the three, Jesus says, now I'm not saying this happened, okay, so don't I'm not a heretic, but but Jesus says, I'm going to the mountain to pray. Does anybody want to come with me? It says that he specifically took those three. But if I said to you, hey, we're going to go up to the mountain, Mount Charleston, this Saturday, and we're going to we're going to pray, how many of you would be like, that sounds like a fabulous idea? <laughs> like, that's my Saturday, bro. I've been working all week. I can't be going to the mountain with you praying. What are you going to do? Pray the whole time? Yeah. Do you know that people who pray, people who pray experience the glory of God more than people who do not pray? Would that be something that pushes us in the position of saying, if 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 I can go to the mountaintop and by going to the mountain, maybe I didn't understand before, maybe I didn't understand, maybe I didn't fully know what was going to happen, but I could experience the glory of God on the mountaintop? How many would choose to stay in the valley? If that was what the deal was, come up and I'll reveal myself to you. Yes, God, I want to go to the mountaintops so I can experience your glory. But like I mentioned, the prayer groups are small. The prayers are few. And I know some real incredible, when I say this, I'm I'm not just being emphatic. I'm telling you the truth. I know some really phenomenal Prayer warriors, people that that's what they do. They intercede for others. They're not praying for themselves. They're interceding for others. They're trying to help. They're beseeching God to see his glory. And I know that they have seen it. They have tasted it. Reveal is the fourth word. How much revelation of God do you want from him? Do you know why that verse is so powerful? These verses are so powerful. Because as you get into the Bible and you start to be transformed, metamorphosis, you start to get transformed. Your thinking changes. You don't do things the way that the rest of the world does them. And then it says there that God reveals to you what his will is. He says, this is the direction you should go. This is what you should abstain from. Not because I don't like you. I don't say to my kids, you better not touch that hot pot because I can't stand that hot pot. Did I say pet? You can't touch that hot pot. Stay away from the boiling water because I can't stand you. And I love that boiling water. No, it's I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to get injured. And we're like, God's like this big daddy and this guy telling us what we can and can't do. Yeah, because he knows what's best for you. He knows what's best for us. He wants to shelter us and care for us and cover us and lead us. He wants to reveal to us. And he can reveal to us when we do what? When we submit to him. And when we submit to him, we're exercising what we say we believe. And if we believe that, it's going to be confessed. You guys see where I'm going with this? You're going to be confessing the things that you you believe and therefore submitting, and then you're going to have revelation of who God is in your life. I'm not trying to make this um, mystical or anything like that. This is very practical. This is very clearly written in the word, and it's exactly what I experienced and what many other people have experienced as well. And I want you to experience. So the question isn't so much so much what kind of disciple are you of the five? It's, what does that look like for me? What does it mean? How does it play out in my life? And these are some guidelines that we can take with us and understand better. In closing, I'd like to bring up these four things one more time. Number one, be confessing. Be confessing. You're going to be confessing one way or the other. You're going to be confessing the things that you really believe because that's what's going to be manifested in your life. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a disciple, naturally, the things that you say you believe should be being confessed on a regular basis. How many of you, when you first got saved, couldn't keep your mouth shut? Just telling everybody. And if like, I don't know if I said this earlier, but but if, if, if I, I would have to rein myself in, okay? Don't, everybody's gonna think you're a freak, dude. Just chill out, you know, like try to wait for the right timing. The timing has to be right too. But then there's people, maybe I didn't like them. Then I shared the gospel with them more, you know, so they would leave me alone or get saved. But what you really what you really believe is what you're going to be confessing one way or the other, or a different way. Number two, be believing. Be believing. Everybody believes something, too, don't you? You have to believe something. What you're believing, be confessing. Number three, keep submitting. And why did I say keep submitting? Because submitting for five minutes is easy. Submitting for 10, for 20, for half an hour, for a couple days. How many of you have made New Year's uh, resolutions? I'm really on a roll today. How many of you have made New Year's revolutions Resolutions? (laughs) Maybe that was on purpose, maybe it wasn't, you'll never know. How many of you made resolutions regarding your diet? It's easy. Maybe, maybe not, maybe not. I don't know. It's easy to submit for a day. Well, I mean, (laughs) somewhat. A week, a meal, a month. This thing that I've been doing that I lost 65 pounds two years ago. I've been doing it for two years. I haven't stopped. I love it. Now, it's more of a lifestyle than a diet, but... The point is submitting for a little bit. I'll do that for for that much, but we have to be in a place where every day we keep submitting to the will of God because our will creeps back in. Paul said, I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I want to do. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death that the spirit and the flesh are in conflict with one another, constantly fighting, constantly pulling. Submitting for me happens on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, on a minute-to-minute basis. Sometimes I think to myself, I don't know if you guys do this, but Tim, what are you thinking? It's a little old lady. They cut you off. You're not really going to drive her off the road. What is wrong with you? The spirit and the flesh. Keep submitting. Number four, remember the revelation. Now, I want to say to you that I believe 100% that God wants to continue to reveal himself to you. And he's going to. If you seek him, if you want to be included in the inner circle in, in that you have been called and now you press into that, I guarantee he's going to be continuing to reveal himself to you. But listen to this. There's that one time when you might have like a mountaintop experience witnessing the glory of God. Remember it. Go back to it. Do you know why they set up stones of remembrance in the Old Testament? It said something happened or God spoke to them or, you know, whatever. And what do they do? What was the first thing it always says that they did? They set up a stone of remembrance. Do you know why they did that? Because they forget. Because they forgot. We forget. Remember the revelation that you got and that you God wants to continue to give you so that you can behold his glory. Amen? We'll finish up our series on discipleship next week, and I promise I won't yell at you guys so much, so let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that that you meet us regularly, that we can have this great confession and confidence in you, That our lives do demonstrate what we believe that we would keep submitting to your will. You, you know what's best for us. You know the big picture and the grand scheme of things, and we're just so in awe and grateful that you want us to be part of that, that you want to include us, that your word says that you've adopted us like orphans. We were lost before, wandering around, didn't really have a what true family looked like, and you took us and you cleaned us, you adopted us as your sons and your daughters so that we could behold your glory. Help us to represent you, God, as what true disciples look like in true discipleship and give us a launching pad for this year, Father. This discipleship discipleship series, Father, we pray in Jesus' name.